This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a, a very, very smart uh, leader at McGuire Woods. We're joined today by David Pivnik. Uh, and David's going to talk to us about what litigation trends he's watching for 2024, what people should be thinking about in terms of the world of litigation and business this year coming up. He might have a little bit of a healthcare slant on it because he works a lot with private equity funds that invest in healthcare looking at all the kinds of litigation risks and diligence risks they deal with. David, let me tee it up and let you take it away. What are you watching for this year? What's what's top of mind? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Scott. A um, couple of things that are sort of piquing my interest early in the year and, and will likely do so the rest of the year. One, checking what the government enforcement priorities are looking like, um, both in connection with, with healthcare, but also more generally as well, uh, some of that may impact things, you know, related to COVID um, funds and, and things related to COVID as the pandemic seemingly winds down eventually, although it doesn't seem to be going away permanently. But I think the government has continued to look into activity on that front. Uh, and I'll be monitoring that as well as other healthcare enforcement trends, you know, whether it's the opioid epidemic, uh, home health and hospice, and skilled nursing, which have been some of the focal points the last couple of years. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that shifts, as well as areas that are outside of healthcare for government fraud uh, enforcement. That that will is and, and will remain one of the key areas of uh, interest for me, and that I'll be monitoring in connection with my practice. Second thing is with regard to restrictive covenants and non-competes specifically, and seeing what you know what developments occur, um, you know, with regard to rulemaking on that, and how different states react as well. And then you know, from my standpoint seeing how things play out in terms of litigation, both uh, litigation of existing non-competes, uh, as well as figuring out how clients react in reforming and amending non-competes to try and maximize enforceability, uh, both in connection with existing documents, as well as entering into new agreements with employees. Uh, and then the third area uh, it will, will be uh, private equity litigation directly. Uh, I've seen an increase in litigation arise out of deals, both buy side and sell side, where it could be indemnification claims. I've seen claims for fraud that have come up. And it seems like as the market has calmed down a bit in terms of the volume of deal activity and where there are some pressures like interest rates and availability of finance and challenges in getting RWI coverage, et cetera, you know, some of those uh, headwinds on, on deals also create an increase in litigation as some of the deals that have come to fruition, you know, have, have led to some issues on the back end. Uh, again, in, in sort of both directions, I'm, I'm seeing it come across my desk and we'll be continuing to monitor that and, and check for trends, but also expect to be spending a fair amount of time actively litigating those issues. Thank you. And then in terms of uh, the private equity litigation and so forth, how much do you think sort of restructuring based on people's being over leveraged or too much debt or challenges financially? Are you seeing a lot of that yet or not so much yet? Not not a ton. Where, where I've seen it is more, um, you know, I, I think we, we've had arguments come up in both directions where the challenge that a seller might make is, you know, we didn't really do anything wrong here and you're just pursuing this claim because you want to retrade on the deal. And, and I've seen that in a couple instances where, frankly, I think the seller was fairly transparently a bad actor and we were trying to bring legitimate, not trying, we were bringing legitimate claims that had merit and, and frankly, we've achieved good results on those. So we're, 
we're, we're seeing some saber rattling where it's people suggesting there's retrading on deals, but it, it's legitimate issues. I'm not seeing as much in terms of you know things ultimately ending up with a required restructuring or things of that nature. It's more just the tolerance for litigation and I think the proximity of some of these disputes ending up in litigation where the parties are not fully satisfied after or there's things that were risks that were not fully identified because a seller was a bit too aggressive on a sale process, et cetera, that I think are we're seeing that more frequently with, with a, more, a higher willingness to have that dispute. Thank you. And then also on the non-compete side, what are you seeing on the non-compete side? I know some states have taken action recently. It seems like the federal government's been wrapping this thing around through the FTC for some time. Any expectations on what to expect? And I would just have investors concerned that this will lead to you know, employees, executives leaving to go elsewhere because they no longer have non-competes. How much of that concern is bubbling up or is it sort of still you know, waiting to see what happens with it all? I, I, so, I mean, the, the, the first thing is, you know, in terms of where, what I expect, I expect that we should get further clarity on that front, both, you know, at an FTC level, but also, frankly, from states. States are continuing across the country to refine their relevant statutes on non-competes. I spend a lot of time in the healthcare space, so, you know, physician non-competes is one of the areas where states have been the most sort of rigorous in putting together guidance and, and drawing lines as compared to just sort of general enforcement. And I think that will continue. And I think the trend is even in states that uh, recognize and enforce non-competes and permit them to be, you know, in, in put in play and then actually will enforce them. Even there, they need to be, you know, narrowly tailored and protect business interests at appropriate in scope. I mean, there's sort of a bright line that you can't just have a haphazard non-compete. And I think that will continue to be the case. And you know, some of the changes that have happened over the last couple of years with more people working remotely, as well as, frankly, some of the legal challenges where it's harder to go into court on an expedited basis and get a TRO uh, than it might have been, you know, five years ago. Uh, I think that will continue as courts continue to become more and more open and, and the availability will increase. But the bottom line is, I think we're going to see more stringent application and so of non-competes. And so I think one of the main takeaways on our end, I have not seen that be an impediment in transactions or an area where clients are getting gun shy about doing a deal. I think it does lead to a lot more of a careful process in crafting the deal documents, making sure that the non-competes are included as appropriate, both you know, with regard to sellers and employees and having separate non-competes because the ability to enforce is different in those two contexts. So it's really more a matter of being deliberate and intentional about the effort to enforce uh, as compared to impeding transactions from taking place or changing big picture deal strategy. Thank you very, very much, David. As always, David is a valedictorian from law school, a brilliant person, long-term partner at McGuire Woods, about as smart and gifted a litigator and counselor as you'll ever find. Again, David Pivnik, thank you for joining us today on the Becker Private Equity and Business Podcast. Always great to visit with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Scott.